There has to be some common sense. Yes, sir, they have the car stopped in town and branch microbiome. We still don't know who pulled the trigger. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Police Off the Cuff, Real Crime Stories. I'm your host, Bill Cannon. I'm a retired NYPD sergeant with 27 years of service. So many things going on with this case. But first, folks, if you're not subscribed to us on YouTube, please go on our YouTube, hit that subscribe button, give us a thumbs up, and ring that bell. Also, if you want to uh, support us, we have a Patreon with three different levels. And you know, if you want to join our Police Off the Cuff YouTube family, you can go on our YouTube site. There's five different levels. You see the folks with the green font in the chat. They're part of our YouTube family. So some of the things that came out yesterday, and and, and folks, I, I just want to say there's been a lot of misinformation. The, the news reports on this uh, haven't been all that accurate uh, in the way that three different people or t- uh, three different police sources said something different about who was driving the Cadillac, when the Cadillac was uh, T-boned by the Fugitive Enforcement Unit and uh, flipped over into that ravine. Uh, two people said that Casey was driving and one person said uh, that Vicky was driving. And, and it's a, that's a very important thing because it impacts upon uh, the self-inflicted gunshot wound because it would make more sense if she was in the passenger seat, she's right-handed, she put the gun to her head, the bullet uh, either... Uh, exited or it didn't exit. Uh, so it would have made more sense that Casey was driving. Also, she would have had to do so many different things uh, if she was driving and having the gun in her hand and speaking to the 9-11 dispatcher on the radio. So all of those things, they're important things. And I think I can somewhat blame this on the fact that there didn't seem to be any centralized person that accurate information was coming from. The old chief, uh, Rick Singleton from um, the Alabama Lauderdale Police Department, he didn't seem like he knew a lot. Uh, he didn't have the facts. He was asked many questions, and he just gave the answer, oh, I, I don't have that information, or I, I'm not aware of that. You can't do that when you're in law enforcement. You have to give out accurate information. I'm going to play a little bit now of the body cam video that they released this yesterday, which is, I think it's great as far as transparency. This is the first time I've seen this happen in a long time where a police organization gives out and uh, the body cam video. Let's play a little bit of this and, and see what uh, it looks like. A lot of confusion, a lot of craziness here. Pull it up, I got a net bag. 
You know, on your screen right now, we're showing the two officers uh, with uh, Casey White on the hood of a car, and you just can see the immense size of this guy. He's just, he dwarfs these two officers who are no small guys themselves, but it's just incredible when you see the actual size of this guy. And you got to realize they pulled him out of the car, not through the door, but through the roof hatchback because the open uh, sunroof, because the car was flipped over and there was no way to gain access to it. Now, you're not hearing a lot of what they're saying to him. Uh, he did say something about my wife, which is, of course, Vicky is not his wife. They, uh, they're putting him on the ground right now. He's a threat, this guy. He's a big, yeah. huge, scary guy. That's right. Oh, he's right here. So that's the body cam video and the officers approaching the scene. You can see it's a uh, a lot of confusion out there, a lot of officers on the scene. At this point, Vicky still has a handgun in her right hand. And she has that self-inflicted gunshot. Hey, we, need, we need to clear some of this shit out of the way so we can get He is. Oh, he shot it. He shot it. Well. Davis, you good? You hear anything? You hear anything? No, she's good. Okay. She still got it in her hand. I don't know. Got the gun in her hand? Yeah, she's good. Got All right, watch it. So, folks, you just heard them say she still got it in her hand. She still has the gun in her hand. And apparently she was still breathing, but there's something in the science of death called a cadaveric spasm. And that's when your hand almost fast forwards into uh, rigor mortis and it locks around the last thing that you were holding. In this instance, it's the firearm. So it very well could be what's called a cadaveric spasm. And they, of course, have to fear her because they she apparently was still breathing at this point. Hey, Hey, let's let's pull, let's go ahead and pop let's go ahead and pop this front windshield. She's here. got the gun in her hand. She's still breathing. She's she's still breathing and she still has a gun in her hand, so they're very much in harm's way. Yes, still breathing. Would it be better if we try to Yeah, you're so Where's he? Uh, anybody got a hood? Uh, maybe. 
I think at some point they take the gun from her hand. I don't know if that if at that point she's dead or she's just incapacitated. They were talking about removing the windshield from the car so they could remove her out from the windshield. What's your what's your what's your unit call? Okay. Hey, Kurt, you got a halogen? Yeah. Bring that halogen. A halogen is a tool that's used to uh, bend steel, actually. So that's uh, it's usually used by firemen, but they're trying to break into this car by removing the windshield or bending some steel backwards so they can get her out through perhaps the uh, sunroof. Yeah. <sighs> I got glasses. What do you expect? Okay. Frequently in situations like this, they'll use the jaws of life to uh, or if we can break, this, uh, break a door do. open or right now she's trapped in the car. They're talking we'll about the housing tool too. right now. That's that sharp edge tool you can see right there. Try to force the door open. It's opening. It's opening. It's opening. It's live on your screen. They're showing yeah. the, the uh, them forcing into the car. You got me? I'm gonna go for the gun first. Okay, I'm gonna go for the gun. One of the officers going to take the gun out of my hand. All right, he's got the gun. He's got the gun from her hand. I'm gonna grab it. Let me a little bit. All right, pull me up. All right, I got it. I got it. All right, he's got the gun. All right. Very Seems tense. Safe. Hear me pull here. it out? Yeah. Somebody pull me. And they're dragging her body out of the car. Really, I mean, just horrible uh, pictures, but uh, real, real life stuff, you know. So, folks, uh, there you have it. I mean, it, live uh, video from a police body cam, which I believe they shared with all um, the networks, with all the news stations. Uh, the big question everyone was asking, um, uh, ND, he had a full load of guns in his car. I believe I have a picture of all the guns that they had in the car. Here you go. On the screen, we're going to show. These are the guns that the police recovered inside the car. I believe there was four handguns. And there's an AR-15 that you can see there. And there's some uh, high-capacity magazines. Uh, actually, there's more than four guns. There's, a, there's another gun in that holster. So there's five handguns. There's uh, four displayed on the screen and one inside a holster. So there's five handguns as well as an AR-15. So had the federal marshals not uh, utilized this maneuver uh, to T-bone the car and actually flip the car over into a uh, a ravine uh they could have been into a, a firefight 
uh, with, with these two people that they wanted to avoid. <laughs> so I believe that this maneuver uh, saved a lot of people's lives. Now, some of the questions that everyone, of course, is asking, um, did she commit suicide? And how do we know whether or not she committed suicide? And I'm just going to tell you, uh, I believe that she probably, and then again, I told you two out of the three police chiefs said that that she was driving. One said, uh, excuse me, two out of the three said she was a passenger. One said she was driving. That's confusing. That's very important. And the way that they said that she was identified as driving is that when they saw them get into the car at the hotel, that Hotel 41 that used to be a Hotel 6, Motel 6, that she got into the driver's seat. So there's from that point on, they never lost sight of the car. So it appears that she was, in fact, in the passenger seat. So one of the things that everyone's concerned about this self-inflicted gunshot wound, if, in fact, that is that if someone's right-handed and they're sitting and they're going to shoot themselves in the head, what they usually do is they put the gun to their head. It would be on the right side of their head with their right hand. And when people commit suicide, they don't hold the gun here. They press usually press the gun right up against uh, their head. And because they do that, it would leave, if they if she pulled the trigger, when you pull the trigger of a firearm and it, and it goes off, out of the end of the firearm, usually there's flames and soot and something called stippling. And if the gun is pressed against the head, it will leave an imprint of the barrel of the firearm on the head. And that's called tattooing. And that'll be something that the pathologist will look for, as well as something called blowback. If you have the gun pushed against your head, and I know I'm getting very graphic, uh, the gun would produce tattooing on the head, but also tissue from the head would go back into the firearm. And that's called blowback. So that's indicative that this was a self-inflicted gunshot wound. I know a lot of folks are saying that, how do we know that, um, that Casey didn't shoot her? Well, that'll be the forensic evidence. I'm going to play a little bit of the news. We have a forensic pathologist on here speaking about the autopsy and about what they will be looking for. Yeah, obviously this is a very high profile case. And so they did expedite the autopsy being done. And when we look at these cases, you just have to really look at it in isolation and make sure everything adds up. And what I mean by that is we have this very dynamic story of them escaping. You know, we have two people involved. And so you do want to make sure that when you're doing the autopsy, the wounds really tell you, you know, are consistent with a suicide. And what I mean by that is you want to see marks on the skin that are consistent with the gun being close or on the skin, um, as you would see when someone puts it there. And so what exactly would the would the coroner be looking for to determine that it wasn't Casey White who shot her since the two of them were in the car, as you're talking about? Sure. I mean, generally speaking, the investigation really adds something to it. But when we're looking at just the autopsy findings, again, we would look for what's called a muzzle imprint. So the end of a gun would leave like a patterned mark on the skin. You would see a soot. So like ash type deposition on the skin. So, you know, everything telling me that the end of the gun was close, was being held close and tight, which is very characteristic of suicide. 
Well, how does that work when you say this was expedited because it was high profile? I mean, is that is that a proper procedure? I mean, there are a lot of other uh, causes of death still to be determined. on other bodies and we know that this you know sometimes they take weeks or months for to get the results but this was this was very quick sure so i think yes you know this was done as a priority case i'm sure the findings would impact the ongoing investigation um with the with the other gentlemen and so i think because there was law enforcement involvement you know they did try to expedite it and in this case because we're looking at a gunshot wound, I think toxicology, although it will be run, is less critical in determining the cause of death. You know, we can see it at autopsy. And that's why I think they tried to make sure, you know, everything added up from her perspective. He's still alive and, you know, they have to deal with him in the legal uh, setting. And would they be looking at his hands and his body as well in order to determine whether she shot herself? I'm sure, you know, I'm sure they want to make sure that he didn't hold the gun up close to her head. But I think all in all, it adds up. If he, if the coroner called it this quickly, I'm pretty sure that they were able to exclude that based on the information they had and obviously the autopsy findings. All right. Well, it was a, a sad result, uh, no matter which Very way you look so. at it. Doctor, thank you for breaking down uh, the process here. We appreciate your time today. So, folks, that came back uh, pretty damn quick. Uh, usually the autopsy, uh, they, again, they, they don't exp expedite it that quickly. But in this case, it was put out there very quickly. And I think that pe people are satisfied at this point that her cause of death was gunshot wound. The manner of death was, uh, was suicide. Uh, she was also on the phone with the 9-11 dispatcher indicating that she intended to shoot herself and take her own life. So all of the totality of the evidence, I think it makes people um, think that, yes, this is, this is probably, this is what occurred. They're not making this up. Um, this is what occurred. And, you know, I don't know why that news reporter was making it like an issue that uh, this case skipped in line and was done first. It wasn't a life or death situation. The person was already dead. This is a test to determine whether or not she took her own life. Let's not make a story within a story. Let's hear from Ashley Banfield a little bit. I always appreciate uh, her take on some of these things. Marshals, uh, they stayed on the tail of this fugitive pair. In fact, after Mr. Stinson did what he did, <sighs> the U.S. Marshals actually spotted that second car, the Cadillac, the one they ditched the F-150 for, the one that Vicky was driving when she picked up the tattooed man. And wouldn't you know it, Vicky White walked out of that hotel that the U.S. Marshals were surveilling, and they saw her in a disguise, a wig, 
That's when they began to chase. And that's how we ended up with a high-speed chase. Um, I want to bring in Lenny DePaul. He's a former chief inspector and commander of the U.S. Marshals Task Force. Lenny, thank you so much for being here tonight. Can you add anything to the details that we've been getting? Because I know that you've got lots of friends within the U.S. Marshals, many who are actually working this case. Well, good evening, uh, Ashley. And yeah, absolutely. I've been in touch with the Gulf Coast the Regional Fugitive Task Force, um, and they were also assisted by the Great Lakes Regional Fugitive Task Force of the U.S. Marshal Service, and of course with the Sheriff's Department. But uh, they did outstanding work. I mean, they're the best in the business when it comes to manhunting. They're the premier agency in the Department of Justice. So when they got called into this thing, what, 11 days ago, I mean, they hit the ground running. Uh, they tore her world upside down and digital footprint was important and whatnot. So historically, they were looking at that trusted circle of friends doing what fugitive investigators do well uh, and putting that puzzle together and connecting the dots. But uh, when they got onto this and, and responded uh, that, you know, they knew about the Cadillac and older model Cadillac, they canvassed the area. Uh, and they found the car and they set up on the car. They, you know, they set up a perimeter and they were watching that thing. And yeah, saw her coming out. And uh, I believe she was in the passenger seat and he was driving. Uh, but then they got into that car chase. Yes. We've been trying to figure that one out, Lenny. We've been trying to figure out if she was driving or if he was. See, folks, this is uh, the one of the first times um, I'm hearing a, uh, a confirmation that he was driving, she was in the passenger seat. Maybe I could go back a little bit on this and, and we'll replay that. Uh, but then they got into that car chase. Yes. We've been trying to figure that one out, Lenny. We've been trying to figure out. And responded uh, that, you know, they knew about the Cadillac, an older model Cadillac. They canvassed the area uh, and they found the car and they set up on the car. They, you know, they set up a perimeter and they were watching that thing. And yeah, saw her coming out. And uh, I believe she was in the passenger seat and he was driving. Uh, but then they got into that car chase. Yes. We've been trying to figure that one out, Lenny. We've been trying to figure out if she was driving or if he was driving. Um, but that, yeah. I mean, do you know for sure whether whether he was actually driving at this point? The, the word I got was that he was driving. Again, it's not confirmed, uh, but that's what I'm hearing okay. from the folks that were uh, downrange. Okay. Doing See, folks, I find that a little bit disturbing that uh, numerous law enforcement agencies on this case did not confirm. That's important, did not confirm that he was driving and she was in the passenger seat. So everyone is like guessing. So then what do we do? The um, <laughs> the uh, content creators on YouTube, we have to go with the best information we have and what makes sense. And But we, we can't just make things up. We got to confirm it. Doing the job. Here's the big thing. Um, we only have a very little description about what happened when the officers approached that wreck. Uh, the two fugitives are still inside. Vicky is shot and bleeding and Casey is injured. And the U.S. Marshals who were there only reported one thing, and that is that he came out and he said, my wife shot herself and I didn't do it. Is there anything more you can add to that description? Other things that he said, other ways that went down. How many officers did they force him onto the ground? How were his, like how was he injured? What were the extent of his injuries? Was he bleeding? Did he get did, you know did he take on any additional gunfire after she shot herself? Is there anything more you know? Well, I mean, these are all great questions. I can't confirm or deny any of the, anything you were saying uh, right now, but uh, you, you got to, you know, and I'm sure everyone realizes that you're talking about a, a guy that, uh, you know, he's already doing a life sentence. He was looking at a death penalty of found guilty on this other case. You know, what are they going to charge him with escape? He didn't care. And I, my concern was, yeah, was it going to be suicide by cop? 
Uh, was Vicky going to become a hostage? There was a lot of things and and that go through these investigators' minds when when uh, especially when you're in a car chase. I mean, things happen very quickly. So, you know, it's the old it's the old adage: muscle memory. I mean, you revert back to your training. You're in a car pursuit. It's a felony car stop. The car flipped over. They approached it with extreme caution. Um, didn't know if they were armed. Uh, did they hear yeah. the gunshots? I don't know. I don't know. Uh, so, Lenny, the reason were. I'm so keyed up on who was driving, the devil's in the details here, because the first thing he says when he gets out is, my wife shot herself. I didn't do it, which immediately makes me think, I think you did, because that wouldn't be the first thing you would think of. You would try to run or you'd say, I didn't do it. I wasn't driving or, or something. But forensics will prove if this was a self-inflicted gunshot. It's very early to just make that pronouncement. And if they were both jumbled around and it's hard to determine <clears throat> who was sitting where in the car, uh, that will be tricky. But if she was in the driver's seat and she's shot in the left-hand side, then she might have done it, probably did it herself. You know, she said everything completely backwards, uh, because if you're right-handed, you're not going to shoot yourself in the left side of the head with using your left hand. You're going to use your right hand. And the information we have now, of course, is that she was a passenger. She was not driving. So she said, uh, and Ashley Banfield is great, but she said everything exactly wrong. If she shot on the right-hand side, he very well might have shot her dead, which would be not felony murder. That would be first-degree intentional murder as well as felony murder. So those details are really important. And we're not getting any more resolution about this potential forensics investigation on whether she really did shoot herself or whether he did it so there wouldn't be an additional witnesses. They're going to have answers to all those questions, Ashley. Folks, there's some questions in the chat, and I'll just address it. Yes, the coroner already has determined that this was a suicide. And I, when I first started the show today, I spoke about uh, gunshot residue on the person's hand, um, close contact wounds, which will leave what's called tattooing on the, on the person's head. It'll leave an outline of the barrel of the gun because flame comes out of the end of a firearm when it's fired. So that will leave certain evidence, stippling, gunshot residue, all of those things. And another thing called blowback, which is tissue uh, from the head will blow back into the firearm when it's pressed up against the head and it's and the trigger is pulled. Um, will they be testing the head? Well, part of the autopsy, Lynn, uh, will they, will, they would have tested her hands to see if she fired the gun. But there's other evidence such as I, I was just speaking about. Would they have tested Casey White's hands? Uh, not necessarily. I think when all the in, uh, evidence indicates that this was a self-inflicted gunshot wound and the officers on the scene, uh, or th there was like one gunshot wound, I believe, was heard. They can also test the firearm to see if it was in fact fired. So all of those things, it's forensic tests. And the coroner already came back or the pathologist already came back and said, this was a self-inflicted gunshot wound. So I think uh, we need to be satisfied with that. Yeah, I mean, you know, what do they say? A dead man tells no tales. I mean, you know, she probably would have gave up the candy store uh, once she was interviewed and, and uh, historically what they did, how they got out, what they planned, what their plan was. I mean, she obviously orchestrated everything. Uh, plan didn't quite work out the way uh, she wanted it to. But, you know, what were they thinking? Where were they going? What were they doing? Uh, you know, they ended up a couple hundred miles north of the jail, uh, ditched one car, had mechanical problems, stole another car. Uh, and then they end up in this Cadillac. So, hey, my, my hat's yeah, off well, to James. James did a great job. And 
uh, you know, the public no remained kidding. vigilant, and that was important. And you guys too. Lenny I mean, DePaul. social media was fired up. It was great. I think you know they were on TV a lot, and that helps. And and you know, video surveillance nowadays helps a lot too. Lenny DePaul, thank you so much. So, folks, I mean, there's a lot of in the last uh, last few days, a lot of information has come out. A lot of um, your questions, the public's questions, have been answered. Um, uh, I think we should hear a little bit from Brian Enton. I think he he does a great job uh, on these cases, and uh, he's always on the scene. He's always the on the spot reporter. Uh, some of the other information in the chat, uh, Yah's daughter, uh, they didn't steal the cars. No, they did not steal the cars, which is sort of funny. They paid cash, but, you know, obviously those cars were not registered. When you buy a car down south, is what the people just let you take the car with their plates on it? Or did they already have plates that were perhaps stolen? But when they, when the police down there ran the plate on the SUV, excuse me, on the Ford F-150, it didn't come back stolen. And so that was when the investigation uh, stopped at that point. Um, so I think that he could have, uh, you know, stayed on the investigation a little further, did a few more checks, and he didn't, in fact, do that. Um, so let's hear a little bit from Brian Enten. Uh, he, he's really, he does a great job. It seems like he's our personal reporter. Or a lot of the cases that we cover, He's he was on the Brian Enten um, Excuse me, he was on the um, Brian Laundry case, you know, with Gabby Petito. He was all over that. So let's hear what he has to say. Yeah, really just within the last hour, this new body camera video came out. Uh, and it's pretty disturbing, Marnie. It's disturbing because you see Casey White being taken away from the car. And he is basically showing uh, absolutely no emotion, despite the fact that Vicky White just shot and killed herself right next to him. It's disturbing to see. Uh, meanwhile, today, we're also learning more about what Vicky and Casey were doing in Evansville. And we're learning more about their stay at this motel behind me. Dashcam video shows the moment police storm Vicky and Casey White's car. You see officers cuff White and lay him down on the hood of the patrol car. Then they put him down on the ground. Today, we also got our first look at what was inside the getaway car. $29,000 in cash and an AR-15, four handguns, a taser, and multiple rounds of ammo. The Vanderburg, Indiana County Sheriff says it all would have ended much, much worse if they hadn't done the pit maneuver and stopped the couple. And we later found out, had they not done that, the fugitive was going to engage in a shootout with law enforcement. The sheriff says Vicki White was shot and killed. He says all indications are she took her own life, but he can't say for sure until the coroner finishes his investigation. This is what dispatchers were saying on the radio. We could hear her on the line saying she had her finger on the trigger, shot victim. Detectives say the couple was staying at this motel just across the street from the sheriff's office. They wore wigs when they were coming in and out. The manager says he never saw them, and it was a local person who rented the room. And they did not even use fake ID or nothing. Somebody else check in officially, and then they were visiting them technically. New video also coming from the car wash where Vicky and Casey were first spotted in Evansville. And you can see Casey standing behind the truck door. The manager of the car wash, James Stinson, believes he was grabbing a gun. Later in the video, you see Vicky pull up in this Cadillac and pick Casey up before they abandon the truck. 
Law enforcement relieved, it's all finally over. We've got. James Stinson believes he was grabbing a gun. Later in the video, you see Vicky pull up in this Cadillac and pick Casey up before they abandon the truck. Law enforcement relieved, it's all finally over. We've got the case solved. We've got a person deceased and we have another person in custody headed back to Alabama. That's my concern. And you heard the hotel manager talk about how it was not Vicky or Casey that paid for their room. Uh, that was certainly mind boggling. We followed up on that with the sheriff here uh, in Evansville. He says it was uh, a homeless person that Vicky and Casey paid uh, to go in and make the payment for their room. That way they could avoid being on the surveillance cameras. Marnie. Uh, Brian, I know that there are moments in that video that we chose not to show because it is too graphic. We know that Vicki, um, as they say, shot herself. But can you share with people at home a little bit more about what you did see in that video? And I'm curious, Casey White, as they take him over to the car, they kind of put him down on the hood of the car. They're arresting him. He's talking. Do we have any idea what he was saying? So a lot of the video, you there's no audio, so we don't know what they're saying. Uh, one thing that stood out to me is just how big and tall uh, Casey White is. He is a very large man. We've been saying all week long that he's almost seven feet tall, but when you see him in the video and how much bigger he is than those two deputies, I always would have expected like a swarm of deputies around this guy, but it was just these two deputies with this enormous man. You mentioned the part of the video that we um, didn't want to use. There is video of them going into the car. Vicky White appears to be lifeless uh, and they have to sort of figure out how they're going to get the gun away from her um, and and one of the deputies goes in and, and retrieves the gun and then they actually pull her body uh, out of the car which which is quite disturbing to see yeah Lorianne thank you uh, Lorianne in the chat says having both bought and sold vehicles here in the south the license plate stays with the vehicle and you have 30 days to register it in the buyer's name well that's thank you, Lorian. That's not the way it is in New York. Uh, before you register a car in New York, you have to get uh, new plates that are to that car from motor vehicle, and it has to be insured before you can uh, you can drive that car. So uh, that's a little bit strange because how is the car then insured under the old plates? The old plates belong to a different individual, different insurance. But uh, we, we won't get into that now. But if that's the way it is down south. I guess it works for them down south. Folks, this is Police Off the Cuff, Real Crime Stories. If you like this podcast from a law enforcement perspective, please go on our YouTube and uh, hit the subscribe button. Uh, give us a thumbs up, ring that bell, and you could support us through Patreon. We have three different levels. And if you want to join our YouTube family, we have five different memberships. You can go on our website, policeoffthecuff.com, and join our YouTube family. And, uh, We'd appreciate it. We'd love to have you aboard. And at one point, Brian, they say she's actually holding the gun because there has been some question. How do we know if she shot herself? Yeah, at one point they said that. Um, and we know uh, that... Um, that the, uh, they're going to do an investigation here. The coroner's doing an investigation. Uh, the sheriff here today said all the indications are that it was a suicide, a self-inflicted gunshot wound, but uh, they're going to wait to officially say that until the coroner's finished. All right, Brian Enton, live for us in Evansville, Indiana tonight. Brian, thank you.
So, folks, we know that uh, this, of course, was uh, made yesterday, and we know that they, the uh, the pathologist uh, determined that it was, in fact, a self-inflicted gunshot wound uh, consistent uh, with a suicide. And there's all kinds of uh, forensic evidence that go that goes with that that I have discussed earlier. Um, I'm not going to go over it again, but let, let's go back a little bit. Um, to see a um, a marshal, a U, another U.S. marshal, uh, being interviewed in regards to what occurred here, and um, it's important to hear from law enforcement. So let's 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 hear what he has to say. Uh, sir, thank you for giving us some time today. You're welcome. Happy to do it. So uh, tell me more about Vicky White's death. What more can you share that you've learned in the last 24 hours? Well, you know, we learned that she did. Uh, take her own life uh, during the uh, the pursuit just before the vehicle was pinned and overturned uh, at the scene. Uh, we don't know a lot more about that. There was a uh, police dispatcher who was dispatching to units. I did hear that tape that uh, the female in the vehicle had a gun to her head and had her finger on the trigger. Uh, I think that was alert to the law enforcement officers that were in pursuit that, uh, again, these individuals were armed and very dangerous. We know that Casey White also had access to a gun. How can you be sure that he did not shoot her? Well, I can't, but but I know that he made a spontaneous statement uh, at the time of, of the accident when uh, Deputy United States Marshals and Task Force officers were trying to uh, take Casey into custody. And Vicki was somewhat pinned in the vehicle. It took a second to get her out. Uh, at that time, he made a spontaneous statement that uh, he said, help my wife, she shot herself and I didn't do it. You know, that's uh, what's known in law enforcement and in law as a spontaneous utterance. And it's usually given a high credibility that it's true. However, you know, this guy is a uh, career criminal. He's a dirtbag. And you could see what he's all about. He's all about himself. Uh, and again, we, there's not anything that would indicate to us that the two individuals were married, but he did make that statement. Uh, let's talk a little bit more about the chase uh, and the crash that ensued. Um, who was driving the car? Yeah, it's my understanding, and there's been different reports about who was actually driving the vehicle. But from my deputies on the scene, they indicated that they saw Casey enter the driver's side of the vehicle and that she entered the passenger side. So there you go, folks. There's two out of the three deputies have confirmed that Casey was driving and she was in the passenger seat. In the press conference today, there was an indication that they were prepared for a shootout with law enforcement. What more can you tell us about that? We learned that, uh, number one, Vicki White had been planning this escape with Casey White for an extended period of time, probably over two years. And certainly when someone pre-plans, uh, purchases weapons from a law enforcement perspective, uh, you know, we, we have to believe that they're extremely dangerous and, and that when confronted, they might try to use force against law enforcement. <clears throat> there had been some reporting that they may be in disguises as they tried to get away and escape. Um, have, you, have you uncovered any possible disguises that they may have had? Well, I know that uh, Vicki had uh, more than one wig and she, she, her hair was a different color at the time that she was observed by Deputy United States Marshals. 
as far as Casey's concerned, it's hard to disguise an individual who's six feet, nine inches tall. Uh, I did a little informal research early on in this case and determined that uh, only 1% of the population in the U.S. is taller than six feet, four inches. So with his height and, and with the tattoos, he's someone who would stand out even with a disguise. Uh, and be easily recognizable uh, in the video from the car wash where the pickup truck uh, was discovered. It, it was clear that it was Casey in that video. He had on a cap, baseball cap, sunglasses, uh, uh, tried to make himself appear, in my opinion, very casual, but it was clear that it was him. The public, as you know, played a key role in this, getting their pictures out there, people calling in tips. Ultimately, it was a car wash manager, a man named James, uh, that really played a pivotal role. Folks, we all say that this guy was a hero. We all believe that uh, he should get the $25,000 reward, but it's not our decision to make. I think that the information that he gave law enforcement was invaluable. And it was just a gem when it came out of his mouth. If you see something, say something. And that was that was uh, fantastic. When ending this whole thing, a lot of people want to know if James is going to get that reward money. You know, I, I can't answer that. I can tell you this, that uh, there, there are other things in this case that are not known to the general public. For example, we know that uh, where uh, Casey and Vicky purchased the, uh, the pickup truck that was uh, recovered from the car wash. We know that they paid $6,000 for that vehicle. We had the VIN number of that vehicle. Uh, we did a check of that VIN and determined that the police there uh, in Evansville had checked that vehicle uh, and that they had checked the VIN to see if it was stolen. Uh, we obtained that information, even though the vehicle was not reported stolen, and we were able to determine where that vehicle was at the time. So we went to the car wash. Uh, and there was an interview conducted with the owner. Uh, also, he had videotape that was very important because on that videotape, we could clearly see that Casey was in that area. Uh, from that, uh, we already had deputy United States Marshals from not only uh, Alabama, but from the Great Lakes Fugitive Task Force, which is operated by the Marshals Service, along with the Gulf Coast Regional Fugitive Task Force. They were already on scene and in the area and uh, there was a lot of good, solid police work. Why Indiana? Some wonder they, um, you know, they were on the run for 11 days, but they stayed in one spot for a long time. What was it about Evansville that, that they chose to stay there as they did? I don't know that it was anything about Evansville. You know, uh, they may have been comfortable in that area. They felt like they were safe and secure in that area. Uh, you know, each time they moved or bought a car, that was another piece of the puzzle for law enforcement. And it's actually from their actions that we put the puzzle pieces together that ultimately led, led us to Indiana. And the question remains, who was the mastermind of this escape? Was it Vicki? Was it Casey? Was it a combination of the two? Um, what does your gut tell you? Uh, my instinct tells me that... that uh, Obviously, they had a plan that they'd put together, uh, they'd worked on together, but I think that uh, Vicki was the person who committed the overt acts, purchased weapons, purchased a vehicle, staged the first vehicle that they escaped in, uh, that she uh, you know, knew the power of the authority that she had 
is an assistant director in the correctional facility and that she could move him out of that facility alone, which is highly unusual for something like that to happen. In fact, would be against any policy that I'm aware of in any correctional facility. So, you know, I don't know. There's a lot of speculation about it, but uh, I don't have the answer to that. U.S. Marshal Martin Keeley, thank you for your So, folks, uh, you know, you get the inside law enforcement perspective on this, and uh, we all hope that uh, they give Mr. Stinson the um, – who happens to be the uh, car wash manager? We we're all hoping that uh, that he gets the reward. You know, uh, just it would seem uh, cra- it would seem crazy if they don't give him the reward. He just did an amazing job. Uh, you know, and and it's everyone's rooting for him. He's a very um, down to earth, real character. A real character out there who you know, repeated that phrase, if you see something, say something. And, and he did it. He didn't just talk the talk, he walked the walk, you know. And, uh, you know, one of the things also people always talking about, what was the psychology of Vicki White here? What made her do this? I'm just play a little bit of a, you know, of course, this is almost like the predictors of this. Uh, you know, they don't have real hard facts. They're, the uh, Vicki White is not this doctor's patient, but let's hear, hear what he has to say. An award, she was well-liked, she was known to be a compassionate person, and she threw it all away, and now she's dead. Right, and from a psychologist's point of view, I always look beneath the surface and think like, well, there must have been some kind of susceptibility, some kind of vulnerability in her life that made her um, prone to his kind of manipulation. And that's what I suspect happened. That's what typically happens in cases like this, is that somebody with a sociopathic tendency is able to make a victim of somebody over time, and I think it's been over the course of a couple of years, um, and really take advantage of them, convince them we have this special thing, we have this special friendship, and if we could just get out of here together, then we could create some kind of life together. And I'm not sure exactly how that went, but I suspect that's roughly the framework. So you don't look at the story and say she was the mastermind. She was in control. She had the the key to the prison. She could have, you know, she was responsible for helping him escape. You look at it more like, you know, she was this vulnerable person. She had just nursed her dying ex-husband yes. as he passed away. She might have been in a lonely, vulnerable spot and been taken advantage of by him. Right. And I, you know, certainly she executed a lot of what he um, benefited from, right? So there was some masterminding going on certainly what there was some plotting and some executing going on but i think it was under the guise of being manipulated all the way through you know because she's the only person if you think about it who had everything he needed to achieve his goals not necessarily hers you're right she had a lot going for her but to achieve his. And so I think he convinced her that his goals were her goals. And when you look at him, right, you're looking at both of them. What do you make of him? You think he's a sociopath? I, I, it's hard for me to imagine that he's not, you know, um, in that he is, um, I'm guessing, very manipulative. I can't imagine the circumstance, given the facts, where that's not the case. Um, at the very least, he's a very manipulative guy. But I suspect sociopathy creeps in there, especially when you convince yourself that you can do something that somebody, people hardly are ever able to actually achieve. Right. It takes a certain amount of confidence to even try, to even plot to carry this out. I know when he was arrested, he identified her as his wife. What do you think went into this kind of grooming over the years? 
Well, you know, I, I think there's a certain cleverness um, and manipulation affiliated with that. You know, um, there is kind of a misnomer out there that somebody who is uh, has made enough mistakes to get himself in prison for life is not intelligent. But um, I suspect that this man had just enough intelligence, even though he doesn't come across a lot of people say as particularly bright. You don't need to have a great deal of just IQ points in order to manipulate another person to help you achieve your goals, especially if you're desperate to have those goals goals achieved. And the fact that both of them carried this out, they plotted this, and no one really seemed to know it happened under everyone's noses. I mean, what does that tell you? Um, it tells me that, that uh, he likely, but maybe the two of them together over time, were able to create a culture of two and when your culture is that small, you're able to make really bad decisions and convince yourself this can work. We can make this happen, you know, without consulting anybody else. Us against the world. Exactly. All right, Dr. John Duffy, it's really interesting to look at this part of the story. Thank you. Thanks, so, folks, there you have uh, a doctor, a, uh, a clinical psychologist's take on this. We in the law enforcement world would just say this guy's a criminal. And that's how we would define it. Define it. He's a criminal, and criminals are manipulative by nature. That's why they're always getting involved in crime. So to have a psychologist sort of define it in psychological terms, that's fine. But we we define it much more simply in the law enforcement uh, area by just saying that this guy is a is a manipulative uh, dirtbag. You know, he's he's just just a total total dirtbag and. Uh, he doesn't really care about anybody but himself. Calling her his wife, that was just, that's sort of ridiculous, you know. Uh, uh, Cammie Brookchett, I can, uh, can you show that again? A police officer want to see which hand she opened the door with. I, I, I'm not sure what you're talking about. I don't know if you're talking about when the police were trying to get into the car. Um, I can't find, I can't, I can't just get that... Um, get that that recording again it's 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 buried in a bunch of different recordings i have a lot of them queued up right now um but uh, to recap a little bit um uh vicky white it was determined by 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 the pathologist that she uh did commit suicide uh it wasn't um it was a self-inflicted gunshot wound so it, it, that was cleared up uh by autopsy yesterday and I spoke a lot about the, um, the the autopsy and what they were going to be looking for, and the fact that there there are things that are indicative with self inflicted gunshot wounds. And you know, one of the th things, of course, are um, uh, soot on the head, uh, tattooing on the head, blowback inside the firearm. All these things are are indicative and. Um, that's uh, you know th that's what it is. I mean, we we also we also spoke about uh, you know many of the aspects of this case. Um, you know, where were they staying? How did they stay in that beautiful Motel Six, which was actually a Motel Forty One? You know, uh, which uh, I find that funny. We were we were uh, sort of joking about the uh, the commercial for Motel Six used to be like, "We'll leave the light on for you," you know, and uh, we were. We were quoting that before we even know it was a Motel 6, and it turned out it used to be a Motel 6, but now it's a, uh, a Motel 41, which someone said yesterday in the chat, very funny, said, 
that means it's $35 more a night because it's not a Motel 6, which I thought was pretty damn funny. You know, Station was first with this story last night on Rush Hour, bringing you live exclusive coverage from Evansville, Indiana and Lauderdale County, Alabama, as this crash and capture unfolded. Our correspondent, Brian Enton, was the only reporter live with the key tipster who took who told police that he thought he saw Casey White at his business. And now you're looking at Evansville, Indiana, where Casey White uh, was caught and Vicky sadly took her own life. We are following up on our exclusive coverage from yesterday. In a moment, we'll speak to Sheriff Rick Singleton in Alabama. But first, let's turn to Brian Enton for a refresher on what we know right now. Brian. You know, Brian Enton did, um, again, uh, um, amazing uh job as he always does on all these cases it almost seems like from the studio they're reporting on a happy case you know happy the way they report it today we've just learned that casey white uh, will be uh, extradited back to alabama and it is going to be happening very very soon <sighs> he will be leaving uh, evansville where we, we where we are uh, and he should be arriving in florence alabama around 9 30 tonight and they will arraign him tonight the judge is going to come in and arraign him tonight uh, at the courthouse there before uh, he, he is sent to a state prison meanwhile uh, today we have learned a lot more about what vicky and casey were doing here in evansville over the last several days they were staying at this motel behind me. The Vicky and Casey White manhunt ended in this crash. And now we're getting our first look at what was inside the getaway car. $29,000 in cash and an AR-15, four handguns, a taser, and multiple rounds of ammo. The Vanderburg, Indiana County Sheriff says it all would have ended much, much worse if they hadn't done the pit maneuver and stopped the couple. And we later found out had they not done that, the fugitive was going to engage in a shootout with law enforcement. The sheriff says Vicki White was shot and killed. He says all indications are she took her own life, but he can't say for sure until the coroner finishes his investigation. This is what dispatchers were saying on the radio. We could hear her on the line saying she had her finger on the trigger, shot victim. Female is still armed. Detectives say the couple was staying at this motel just across the street from the sheriff's office. They wore wigs when they were coming in and out. The manager says he never saw them, and it was a local person who rented the room. And they did not even use fake ID or nothing. Somebody else checked in officially, and then they were visiting them, technically. New video also coming from the car wash where Vicky and Casey were first spotted in Evansville. You can see Casey standing behind the truck door. The manager of the car wash, James Stinson, believes he was grabbing a gun. Later in the video, you see Vicky pull up in this Cadillac and pick Casey up before they abandon the truck. James, the manager of the car wash, has been talking exclusively with News Nation. Here's what he told Adrian Banker today on Morning in America. I walked up to the truck and the windows were down, which I thought was odd. I never had that happen. And I thought, oh, my God, this could be that guy from Alabama. So I was kind of afraid to look over in the vehicle, thinking he might be in there asleep, or dead, passed out, overdosed, whatever. But I finally did look in it. The keys were inside in the ignition. And it's really interesting what went down at this motel behind me. Uh, the sheriff told us that it was actually a homeless man who initially paid for the room uh, for Casey and Vicky, that the couple had paid this homeless person to get the room so that they could avoid going in and avoid the surveillance camera. And I just spoke with uh, a different manager who said that she actually saw Vicky White yesterday, that she came in the office in disguise in a wig with red glasses uh, and that she was paying for the next week. 
Uh, so obviously uh, interesting that they've been right here at this motel, which is, by the way, uh, right across the street from the sheriff's office here uh, in Evansville. I want to bring in Sheriff Rick Singleton. This is the sheriff from Lauderdale County, Alabama. Uh, he is, of course, the sheriff uh, in the area where all of this began. It was it was his jail uh, where where Vicky uh, got uh, got Casey out and where this whole manhunt begin began. Sheriff, thank you for joining us. The first thing I want to ask you: uh, We know that this uh, extradition is happening. That Casey White is going to be leaving Indiana. What can you tell us about that? What's the time frame? Uh, what will be happening tonight? Uh, we expect them to get back here in Florence uh, around nine thirty to ten. Uh, we have a judge on standby who will be uh, on the bench when they arrive. Uh, he will be immediately carried before the judge to be arraigned on the escape charges. Uh, as soon as that arraignment is over, he'll be placed back in the transport vehicle and transported directly to the Alabama Department of Corrections. Okay, so you mentioned the Alabama Department of Corrections. Was there a decision made not to take him back to your jail? Absolutely. Uh, he, he has Just, these charges waiting. Uh, this has uh, obviously uh, uh, sort of uh, thrown a monkey wrench in the process as far as his trial for uh, uh, capital murder. So they'll have to take some time to figure all that out and sort it out. Uh, but at some time, he will be brought back to our facility. One thing that alarmed me was talking with the sheriff here in Evansville today, and he said that Casey told them uh, that he planned for there to be a shootout and that he wanted there to be a shootout. That's how he wanted this to end. What can you tell us about that? Uh, I'm not surprised. You know, he's a very dangerous man. We said that from day one. Uh, we know what, what he's capable of, and he's very capable of carrying out that exact plan. Uh, I don't know if that was their plan or not. Obviously, if he told the sheriff up there it was, then I, I take him at his word. But uh, it would not surprise me because he's that kind of guy. There's a lot of mixed feelings, Sheriff, about uh, Vicki White. Um, I know she worked uh, for your office for almost two decades. Um, she was going to be uh, Correctional Officer of the Year for your department this year. A lot of people really liked her and respected her. Um, how are the employees processing it right now? And also, uh, how, how is her family doing, specifically her mother? Because I had a chance to meet her mother last week, and, and it was sort of heartbreaking to talk to her. How's she doing now? Uh, I spoke with her mother this morning, and she is still uh, extremely distraught. Uh, you know, they are just uh, beyond belief uh, that their daughter would do something like that, as are we, her co-workers. Uh, what in the world possessed Vicky to pull a stunt like this? I don't guess we'll ever know now. But, uh, you know, it's just not the Vicky any of us knew, including her parents. You know, uh, this this told, uh, caught everyone totally off guard. Um you know, she absolutely exploited her position and, and her knowledge of the system and, and uh, of uh, the inner workings of our court system and, uh, you know, uh, was able to get him out of jail and stay on the run for 11 days. Yeah, it's been a wild 11 days. And it was interesting today to learn that they used this homeless man to go in and rent the motel room behind me for them. Have you learned of any other instances where other people were involved in, in all of this over the last 11 days? I have not. Uh, I don't know if the uh, marshal service uh, got any tips or any information regarding that or not, uh, but I'm not personally aware of any. You know, folks, um, this sheriff is um, probably in the twilight, the very end of his career, I would think. Um, <clears throat> 
He doesn't strike me as uh, Sheriff Rick Singleton. In fact, that's an elected position. So uh, apparently he has decided not to rerun, rerun for the position of sheriff. But as I said, he's probably in the twilight of his career. He uh, didn't seem like he had a lot of answers for a lot of things. He seems like a hell of a nice guy, you know, grandpa type. But I think it's maybe time for him to uh, ride into the sunset on his horse trigger. You know, I think that uh, it may be time for him to put in his retirement papers because uh, there was a lot of a lot of um, mistakes in this in this instance. A lot of protocols weren't followed. It seemed like there was a lot of um, you know warning signs that Vicky potentially. Uh, could have been doing something like this. Folks, Joe Murray, attorney at law. Joe is a retired NYPD police officer, and he's a fantastic defense attorney in the New York metropolitan area. Uh, you can reach Joe at, on a cell at 718-514-3855 or email him at joe at jmurray-law.com. His website is jmurray-law.com. He's a fantastic defense attorney, and he's been on both sides of the fence. He's been a law enforcement officer, and he's he's an attorney, and he's a fantastic attorney. He represents many high-profile defendants. And Joe Murray, if you need an attorney in the New York metropolitan area, Joe's your man. John Beatty Law, www.jbeattylaw.com. John Beatty is a renowned personal injury attorney. He also is a retired as a decorated NYPD sergeant. John comes from a proud NYPD and FDNY family. He was an active sergeant in Brooklyn North and supervised in the legal bureau. John is a proud member of the Honor Legion and the Blue Knights. John Beattie litigates across the country for seriously injured victims and has helped recover over $200 million for grieving families. Call John now for a free consultation. John Beattie, 917 797-9520. John Beatty Law, www.jbeattylaw.com. So, folks, um, where do we go from now with this caper? I mean, is it over? Uh, of course, he um, Casey White is going to stand trial um, um, for capital murder. But, you know, something, one of the things that we're, not, we're hearing about or not hearing about is that he was already serving 75 years. This whole, guys, this whole thing about getting out of the state prison um, and getting into the um, to the jail was a plan of his and Vicky White. Of course, the, a jail is much easier to escape from than a state prison. So, but he still now has to, uh, he has to, to, to serve his time uh, 75 years before he even goes on to trial, this is this is a um, a little video. Uh, people have been asking for this about his arrival uh, back in um, Lauderdale, Alabama. I'll play a little bit of this, and then probably be time to to wrap it up. Casey was worth it. New overnight, a shackled and handcuffed Casey White on the run for more than a week. Now inside an Alabama state prison. Today's been a good day. Got him back home. Got him back behind bars. This dramatic new dash cam video showing the moment he was captured, dragged from a crashed Cadillac, then pinned down by officers. The six foot nine fugitive surrendering 
Authorities patting him down on the hood of a police cruiser in Indiana, ending a tense multi-state manhunt. Still trapped inside the car, Vicki White, the corrections officer, turned accomplice. An autopsy report confirming she shot herself in the head just before police moved in. She's still got it in her hand. Got the gun in her hand? All right, watch it. First responders pulling her from the vehicle in an attempt to save her life, but she later died. Overnight, Casey White appearing before a judge where he was formally charged with escape in the first degree. Prosecutors say more charges could follow. We'll be looking at other state and possibly federal charges on that uh, incident that involved the death of, of Vicki White. The 38-year-old now being held in a state facility instead of the county jail that he escaped from, escorted out by Vicki White for an appointment that never existed. Authorities say the couple was armed with an arsenal of weapons and was prepared for a shootout with police until U.S. Marshals crashed their getaway car. That action may have saved many of my deputies and fellow law enforcement officers' lives. Also in the vehicle, tens of thousands of dollars in cash, a number of wigs and camping gear. But it was tips from the public that ultimately led to their capture, like the call a car wash owner made to police about an abandoned pickup truck ditched by Casey. I said, this is probably that guy from Alabama. Body cam video released overnight shows what officers say they uncovered inside. And a Glock magazine loader. A bizarre crime orchestrated by an unlikely pair a veteran corrections officer, and an accused killer police believe she may have fallen for. Megan, officials also revealed yesterday that Casey and Vicki White may have even gotten help from a third party. What more do you know about that? Yeah, Savannah, that's right. So law enforcement officials are looking into the possibility that someone else may have helped the couple uh, secure that hotel room for 14 days. Keep in mind that those wigs that investigators uncovered, they believe that they were worn by Vicki White to try and conceal her identity. So it's possible she may not have had the proper identification to even reserve rooms in the first place. Savannah. All right, Megan, the thread to follow up on for sure. Appreciate it. Thank you. Wow, smoking gun information by the news. They already determined that the person that rented the room for Casey and Vicky was a homeless person. Smoking gun information by network news. Unbelievable. And they reported it as if it was brand new to all of us. You know, I love that. You know, yes, I'm sure the U.S. Marshals are searching for this homeless man so they can put him in prison forever for renting this room. He probably got a few dollars to rent it in his name for them. I think they're going to charge him with conspiracy. So folks, you know, that was the recap today. Uh, you know, I, for the folks that keep coming into the chat live, it has already been determined by a pathologist that it was a self-inflicted gunshot wound. I went over at least two or three times during this broadcast how that can be determined. So people that in the chat keep saying, oh, Casey shot her. No. They've already determined that he did not, that it was a self-inflicted gunshot wound. Uh, H-Doc, News Nation is now saying Casey was driving. That's now been confirmed by two of the three law enforcement sheriffs. It wasn't clear over the last few days, and I had uh, spoken about that, that it was not clear. Uh, the, and the wigs were used to disguise. So not, no new smoking gun information. I had uh, said yesterday, guys, also, I worked, you know, in Manhattan North Homicide my last 10 years on the job. And one of the things that's always smart to do after a major investigation 
is to critique yourself and critique the investigation and to see what you did right and what you did wrong so that in the future, maybe you don't make those same mistakes. Are there mistakes made in every investigation? 100% were human beings. Cops make lots of mistakes. The doctors make mistakes. Yes. The lawyers make mistakes. Yes. The politicians make mistakes. They're the kings and queens of mistakes. So when when the media gets down on law enforcement and acts like it's Keystone Cops, you know, maybe they should feel what it's like to have someone shoot at you. And I'm not wishing that on anybody, but have to go apprehend people that are armed the way these two were. And maybe they wouldn't be so, so critical, you know. Uh, firemen make mistakes too. Someone pointed that out in the uh, in the chat. Yes, what I'm saying is everyone makes mistakes. So, folks, again, thank you so much for uh, tuning in to Police Off the Cuff Real Crime Stories. And if you're not subscribed, go on to YouTube, subscribe, hit that button, give us a thumbs up. We're going to probably continue to uh, cover this case here and there, but pretty much it's um, other than the investigation and other than the new case against um, Casey White, in which he was uh, obviously escaped from this jail to avoid the prosecution. yeah, it's, uh, you know, I don't know if there's anything that's going to um, be smoking gun information. Uh, um, Andrea Herendine, I respect law, but that sheriff in the interview, I felt he was puffing himself up because they were captured in his town. I think that was Sheriff David Wedding you were uh, referring to. And I think he gave the incorrect information about um, Vicky driving the car. I don't think she was driving the car. I think that uh, Casey was. So Vicky wasn't driving. Um, um. Kim Allison, thank you, Bill. Hope your cough gets better very soon. Me too. It's uncomfortable and uh, I'm feeling a little weaker. Guys, on a personal note, I was supposed to actually have surgery today and I had to cancel it because uh, I was weak from uh, being sick. Now I have to uh, reschedule it for sometime in June. So, uh, it's not, I didn't make that story up about having surgery, but I don't think you want to go into surgery unless you're 100% feeling well and strong. So I put it off until I'm recovered from this cough. And uh, so guys, again, thank you so much for listening. Uh, it's always great to report these stories to you guys. And uh, you guys are truly police off the cuff fans and uh, have a great day. And I'll, and I'll see you soon. One episode. Just ain't enough